Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you so much for this time. And Lord, right now, what is needed is humility. We just pray and ask that as we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, you would lift us up. God, please bless us with this beautiful knowledge and wisdom. God, we pray for the wisdom to use it and not just store it away or hide it. Thank you so much, Jesus, for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, ladies and gentlemen, the name of this presentation is called Ella White and what? Food documentaries. All right. The next presentation is called How to Share with Evolutionists and Philosophers in the Classroom. You don't want to miss it. I'll share some of my own experiences that took place just a few months ago. Just a few months ago. And watch an amazing video, too. All right. As I said before, the name of this presentation is called Ellen White and Food Documentaries. When you take a good look, ladies and gentlemen, at all the leaders of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, there is one leader that stands out. What is so remarkable about the writings of Ellen G. White, though this woman was given vision, a vision hundreds of years ago, ladies and gentlemen, those writings have seeded this world for the better. Amen? Amen. And Jesus said, by their fruits, you shall know them. In other words, what comes as a result of those people's writings? In fact, look what Ellen White Wright herself said in first selected message right here. Abundant light has been given to our people in these what? Last days. Now, before we read the rest, I'm going to ask you a question. How many people believe that we're going to get another prophet right before the second coming of Jesus? There's going to be another prophet. No more prophets. So you guys don't believe there's going to be another prophet before the second coming of Jesus? Two, three, four, five, six. Some of you guys like, I don't want to say the wrong question. I don't say the wrong answer. Ladies and gentlemen, we are told from Joel chapter 2 that God's spirit will be poured out in the last days. Amen? Amen? Now, the question is, will there be a prophet that had the same role in as Ellen White? I do not believe so. In fact, take a good look at what she says right here. Whether or not my life is spared, my writings will constantly what? Speak. And their work will go forward as long as time shall what? Last. She told us through prophetic insight that these writings are to be available all the way till the end of what? Time. That's all the way till the second coming. And ladies and gentlemen, there's no point in us having a major prophet if we're not studying what we already got. Can you say amen to that? My writings are kept on file in the office, and even though I should not live, these words that have been given to me by the Lord will still have life and will still speak to the people. Amen? You know, something interesting is said about Moses. When a lot of people are trying to understand the prophetic role that Ellen White has, something very interesting was said about Moses. One day, the brother and sister of Moses had a big problem with Moses. They thought that they could be leaders in the church at that time. In fact, one of the leaders, her name was, or Miriam, her name was Miriam, I should say, she began to talk bad about Moses' wife. And do you remember what she was struck with? Leprosy. What's very interesting about leprosy, it was the kind of leprosy that turned, turned somebody white as snow. Do you know what she was making fun of Mir uh, Moses' wife for? Her skin color. Because she believed she was just a little too dark for Israel. 
And so God cursed Miriam and said, you're going to be a little too white for Israel now. <laughs> and sure enough, she was sent out. That's exactly what took place. She was sent out of the camp. What's also very interesting, this ladies and gentlemen, is that right after this time, something is said about Moses that there had never been since then. There has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. You find that exact same language talking about this individual, John the Baptist. Look what the Bible says about John the Baptist. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not what? Risen one greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist also had another name. Do you remember what that name was? He was called the blank of the Lord. Messenger of the Lord. Notice this. John the Baptist was called the messenger of the Lord. Look what Ellen White says about her writings right here. Those who boldly assume that they are prophets in this day are often a reproach to the cause of Christ. My work includes much more than this name signifies. I regard myself as a messenger entrusted by the Lord with messages for his people. My commission embraces the work of a prophet, but it does not end there. It embraces much more than the minds of those who have been sowing seeds of unbelief that can comprehend. Now I'm going to ask you a question, ladies and gentlemen. What does Moses, John the Baptist, and Ellen White have in common? Besides what I just said. Yeah, besides what I just put up there. What does Moses, John the Baptist, and Ellen White have in common? Okay, raise your hand. Yes. Connected, uh, I guess, dispensations of Christianity. For example, Moses took people from altars to the sanctuary. John the Baptist took people from um, the sanctuary on earth to the sanctuary in heaven. And Ellen White took people from the, the holy place to the most holy place. Very good. Very good. Very good. Each one of them led a special phase of understanding when it came to the sanctuary. And guess what, ladies and gentlemen? Each one of them led a people in preparation for what God was going to do next. Amen. Moses led a group of people out of Egypt. John the Baptist prepared a bunch of people for Jesus. And Ellen White, is prepared, she prepared a lot of people for the second coming of Jesus. But guess what all those three have in common too? Moses went to the borders of the promised land, but he never entered in. John the Baptist lived all the way to the beginning of the ministry of Christ, but died before he could see it. Ellen White preached about the second coming, but she didn't live to the time of the second coming. Each one of these leaders led their people to a great understanding and a great step in the understanding of truth in Jesus. Amen? Amen. These writings are so important for us. And I always share this story. For me, I was born and raised a Hindu. I also come from a Sikh background. And when I was becoming a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, one of the first things I read in the Spirit of Prophecy was Volume 9, where Ellen White was rebuking Harvey Kellogg, John Harvey Kellogg, for his understanding or his promotion of pantheism. This was really enlightening to me. You want to know why? Because Hinduism is based primarily in pantheism. The belief that God is more than just he's created the screen, he's in the screen. God is in the ground. He is the ground. You know how you color pictures of John the Baptist Sabbath morning? I was actually growing up coloring pictures of trees and rocks, and the caption would say, God is the tree, God is the rock. Wow. 
And so when I was reading the writings of Ellen G. White, I was so blown away how she separated this idea of pantheism from the biblical message and how God's signature is on nature, but God is not nature. And this helped me to define more and more who God really is. Can you say amen to that? These writings are so powerful and God used these writings to seed this world. And because of the seeds that were planted, ladies and gentlemen, you find many great things have taken place. Jesus said something very interesting about a prophet. He said, if you want to know the difference between a false prophet and a genuine prophet, he doesn't bring up all the other things that you could bring up when you're trying to establish a genuine prophet. Look what he says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 through 17. Beware of false what? Prophets. Prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. The, you will know them by their what? Fruits. Fruits. This is very important. When you plant a seed, is there some time before that seed actually begins to bear fruit. In other words, a prophet's work is not always fully recognized in that individual's life. And it's only afterwards that you begin to see more and more of the fruit of that person's life. You know what's really interesting about Joseph Smith? Joseph Smith impacted Mormonism. Amen, do you believe that? But he really did not impact the world outside Mormonism. When you take a good look at the writings of Ellen G. White, you find that her writings not only impacted Adventism, but it also impacted the world itself. Every major prophet in the Bible impacted the world. Not just Israel, Moses. The Egyptians were affected. The nations were affected. You take a good look at John the Baptist. He had Herod. He had other individuals who were showing up, the centurions. You take a good look at Jesus and how he stood before Herod and other Gentiles. You take a good look at the, the theme throughout scripture, major prophets impacted the world around them. And Jesus said, by their fruits, you shall know them. And this is very important because this helps us to understand more and more about the writings of Ellen G. White. Now, a lot of people, if you go on a website, you type in Ellen White, you're going to find a lot of anti-Ellen White websites. And let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, 99% of them are former bitter Seventh-day Adventists. Amen? You think about it. Most people just don't want to dedicate several hours producing a website about Ellen White, even if they choose not to believe in her. You have individuals who are former Adventists who where there is an emotional issue where they have to keep making, you could say, these claims about Ellen G. White. You will find five consistent things, ladies and gentlemen, that are said about Ellen G. White. Number one, she was a plagiarist. Number two, she did not believe in justification by faith. Number three, she was above the Bible or claimed to be above the Bible. Number four, her visions were the result of a temporal lobe epilepsy. That's the worst one. Number five, Ellen White's prophecies failed. Over and over again, you're going to find these exact same things. But ladies and gentlemen, these things have been utterly refuted. Amen. Utterly refuted. You know what's also very interesting about these writings? The number one out of these claims that are being promoted over and over again is that she was a plagiarist. She was a plagiarist. Well, we all heard about that certain lawyer, right, who the Adventist church hired. And he went to see if she actually broke plagiarism laws of her day. And there she vindicated Ellen G. White. But that's all most people know about the story. 
What most people don't realize is how the lawyer himself was affected. There's a lot of writing right there. I'll do my best. Vincent L. Remick, a prominent and respected copyright attorney in Washington, D.C., noticed his power, talking about uh, the Little Horn Power. In 1981, in the midst of the newly born plagiarism charges, the General Conference Legal Office used privately donated money to hire Remick to research the case law and the literary evidence to see whether Mrs. White was guilty of plagiarism, literary, literary piracy, or copyright infringement. Remick, a Roman Catholic, Spent some 300 years, 300 hours, sorry, <laughs> a lot of time, okay. 300 hours reviewing cases and reading the literary evidence. In addition to examining the critic's case, he sampled what he called a great cross-section of her books, even reading the great controversy all the way through. And let me tell you, if you read that book all the way through, you can't help but be changed. Let's see if it worked on him. On legal matters, he concluded, if I had to be involved in such a legal case, case regarding charges of plagiarism, piracy, and copyright infringement against Ellen White, I would much rather appear as defense counsel for Ellen White than for the prosecution. There simply is no case. Now what is very interesting is this, is what he says next. The bottom line is, what really counts is the message of Mrs. White, and not merely the mechanical writings or words, clauses or sentences of Mrs. White. Theologians, I am told, distinguish here between verbal inspiration and plenary inspiration. Too many of the critics have missed the boat altogether, and it's too bad too. I personally have been moved, deeply moved by those writings. I have been changed by them. I think I'm a better man today because of them. And I wish that the critics could discover that. The rocks cry out. Can you say amen to that? Amen. There's more to the story. Amen? And you got to check out more of what he's saying. But ladies and gentlemen, you find that even those who don't become Adventists but read her writings are utterly changed by them. And I appreciate what Ricky was sharing earlier with us because you see the results of those things. Look what the book of Proverbs says right here over and over again. And I want you to notice the pattern here, ladies and gentlemen. The path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter unto the perfect day. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know which makes them stumble. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them, and what? Health to all their flesh. Proverbs 12, 18. There's one who speaks like the piercings of the sword, but the tongue of the wise, what? promotes health. Proverbs 13, 17. A wicked messenger falls into trouble, but a faithful ambassador brings what? Health. Pleasant words are like honeycomb, sweetened to the soul, and what? Health to the bones. Ladies and gentlemen, if someone is speaking God's words, then those effects are going to take place. Can you say amen to that? Amen. And so when you see from the writings of Ellen G. White, you see that her writings brought health and healing to this world. Now, we take a good look at our world today, and we see a lot of crazes that are taking place, a lot of health crazes. It used to be that when you went to January, the gym was packed. But guess what, ladies and gentlemen? Near my house, the gym is packed throughout the year now. There's been a lot of craze when it comes to health. Everyone's into 5Ks, into marathons. A lot of people are trying juicing. A lot of people are trying certain diets. Health has become a phenomenon that many people in the world are interested in the world today. You take a good look at many of these documentaries that have come out. Anybody ever seen these documentaries? My voice is starting to go out. 
All right, you see Food Inc. You see the other one, it's called King Horn. That's sick and nearly dead. Anybody seen that one before? Yeah. That's sick and nearly dead. That inspired me to juice. Amen. Amen. I did it for three and a half days. <laughs> <laughs> How many days did you do it for? <laughs> one? <laughs> All right, I better stop fighting. Okay, forks over knives. You see many of these documentaries in the world around us today, right? But what a lot of people don't recognize is that we actually have these writings given to us well before these documentaries get out. 1863, Ellen White received her first vision of health. But what's so interesting, God was not just blessing the church at that time, he was blessing the entire world. And through the seeds that were her writings, the world would one day partake of the benefits that came from those visions. We all know who this individual is right here, right? Paul Harvey, he's considered one of the most trusted journalists of all time, actually. Died in 2009. He went to a Saddleback Seventh-day Adventist church near the end of his life, but he himself was not a Seventh-day Adventist. But he said this about L.G. White. He says, perhaps we should reread what she has taught. The oil that has eaten in the olive is far preferable than animal oil or fat. Today we know about cholesterol. She knew fine flour, white bread is lacking in nutritive and elements to be found in bread made from whole wheat. She wrote, do not eat largely of salt. Now we know that we should keep the sodium intake low. We have come to accept the wisdom of such advice so completely that it is difficult for us to realize how revolutionary her theories were almost a, a century ago. Almost a century ago. Now this is a very interesting book. It's called The Oxford Encyclopedia of Food and Drink in America. Originally published in September 2004, it covers the significant events, inventions, and social movements that have shaped the way Americans view, prepare, and consume food and drink. Now what's so interesting, this describes so many trends, but watch what is said about one particular individual. No single individual influenced American eating habits during the early 20th century more than Dr. John Harvey Kellogg. This is a secular book, and look what it's saying about one man who influenced American eating during this time, John Harvey Kellogg. Now we know him as the great apostate of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, but prior to this time, he had some very interesting things that helped him in his understanding of science. Look what else is said right here, natural health perspective. John Harvey Kellogg deserves more than any other person to be called the father of natural health. In fact, when you take a good look at a lot of food websites, vegan food websites, many of them mention John Harvey Kellogg. He is recognized truly as the father of natural health. Well, John Harvey Kellogg himself had a way about going things and understanding diet. David Paulson, MD, about the year in 1913, reported a conversation that he had with Dr. John Harvey Kellogg a number of years earlier. Introductory to the following statement, it should be mentioned that in the late 19th century, John Harvey Kellogg, MD, was recognized as a world leader in several areas of medical practice. Dr. Kellogg asked me in New York City 22 years ago if I knew how it was that the Battle Creek Sanitarium was able to keep five years ahead of the medical profession. I didn't know. Then he told me. 
He said that when a new teaching is brought out in the medical world, he knew from his knowledge of the spirit of prophecy, the writings of Ellen White, whether it belonged in our system or not, if it did. He instantly adopted it and advertised it while the rest of the doctors were slowly feeling their way. And when they finally adopted it, he had five years to start on them. On the other hand, when the medical profession were swept off their feet by some new fad, if it did not fit the light we had received, he simply did not touch it. When the doctors finally discovered their mistake, they wonder how it came that Dr. Kellogg did not get caught. Here you have the father of natural health, and you see where he was getting his inspiration. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, when God gave us those writings, they blessed this whole world. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Anybody know who this individual is? Good. I love surprising you. Clyde McKay. He lived 1898-1967, was an American biochemist, nutritionist, nutritionist, gerontologist, and professor of animal husbandry of Cornell University from 1927 to 1963. He came out with several different books. One of them was the Cornell Bread Book. Other of them were North Notes on the History of Nutrition Research. He began to revolutionize nutrition at a time where many of his own colleagues were mocking him. He began to come across certain books, ladies and gentlemen. These books have a name, The Spirit of Prophecy. And it began to revolutionize much of his research into nutrition. Amen. Look what he says right here. Talking about Ellen White. In the first place, her basic concepts about the relation between diet and health have been verified in the usual degree by scientific advances of the decades. In the second place, everyone who attempts to teach nutrition can hardly conceive of a leadership such as that of Mrs. White that was able to induce substantial number of people to improve their diet. In the third place, I mean, this guy talks in lists. In the third place, one can only, only speculate about the large number of sufferers during the past century who could have improved their health if they accepted the teachings of Mrs. White. Finally, one can wonder how to make her teachings more widely known. In spite of the fact that the works of Mrs. White were lar written lar long before the advent of modern scientific nutrition, watch what he says, no better overall guide is available today. Now you're thinking, what's so impressive about that? This man had one last doctrinal student who studied under him. This individual who studied under him was urged by Clyde McKay to go into nutrition and to study out natural means of healing the body. It was this individual, his last doctrinal student, the author of the China study. <coughs> Excuse me. He completed his MS in nutrition and biochemistry at Cornell in 1958, where he studied under Clyde McKay, known for his research on nutrition aging, and his PhD in nutrition, biochemistry, and microbiology in 1961, also at Cornell. And he was the primary um, presenter and one of the producers of this documentary, Forks Over Knives. And ladies and gentlemen, when you watch that documentary, this has the fingerprints of spirit prophecy all over it all over it all over it he he authored this book called the china study which is recognized in the entire world considered a bestseller and many people have been blessed by the china study many celebrities from mike tyson all the way to bill clinton have become vegans 
And what was essentially his findings? People who ate the most animal-based foods got the most chronic disease. People who ate the most plant-based foods were the healthiest and tended to avoid chronic disease. These results could not be ignored, said Dr. Campbell. And so are some other individuals who now promote Dr. Campbell's research. But little does Dr. Campbell know so much about where these beautiful writings actually came from. In fact, Don McIntosh, you guys know who Don McIntosh is? Amen. He's actually a good friend of Colin T. Campbell. And he's very ignorant about the writings of Ellen G. White. He did not know that his own mentor was somebody who was versed really well in the spirit of prophecy. In fact, what is very interesting, I have this interview where it's, it's actually a radio interview on Vegan Radio. What a name, huh? Vegan Radio. And uh, here, t t uh, yeah. T. Colin Campbell actually talks about Seventh-day Adventists who are so revolutionary in their understanding of natural science, health, diet. It is amazing what he says in this. He actually wanted his son, you can take a good look at it, to go to one of these colleges as well. Do you guys know who this individual is? Nathan Pritikin. He's the founder of the Pritikin program, and he was somebody who during his time was considered, uh, uh, you could say, a rebel. Why? Because he was promoting so much about nutrition. This individual also came across the writings of Ellen G. White and was so blessed, and it shaped a lot of his research and his study when it came to health. Here's actually an interview that was done. He actually died not too long ago. Um, and here was an interview that was done by an Adventist paper. In fact, what's so funny is that the Adventist uh, interview starts witnessing to him. All right. I should say it's funny. It should be natural. Amen? Amen. Mr. Pritikin, your ideas on nutrition and health are quite similar in many respects to those of Seventh-day Adventists. Are you aware of the Adventist health writings? Many of them are more than a century ago. Century old. You mean the writings of Ellen G. White? Yes, what we call our health message is largely based on her counsel. Watch what he says, I have read all her books dealing with health topics. Have you? Rebuke. All right. Okay. I'm rigging myself right now too, okay. Would you care to comment on the concept she presents, which we Adventists, unfortunately, have not observed as closely as we should? I feel that if you Adventists have followed the teachings in these books, you would be a much healthier people group. Rebuke again. I think that the Adventist dietary plan is really, really close to our nutritional recommendations. It was marvelous that this woman was able to write all that she did without any real scientific background. Of course, we believe that she was inspired. She had to be inspired. I don't know how she could have gotten this information herself. She certainly did a tremendous job for her time. As Adventists, we believe that God is the creator of our bodies and that we have not just evolved, we have not just evolved and that our bodies are priceless and the wonderful mechanisms. Only a mastermind could have planned the intricate workings of it. The body is a wonderful machine that no one understands completely. I'm sure that since you have been associated closely with Adventists on your staff, you know that your dietary, our dietary plan is based on the original diet given to man as recorded in Genesis. Well, this is where his ignorance comes in. According to Genesis, man can eat animal protein. True, but this was not the original diet. Meeting was permitted only after the flood when all the vegetation was destroyed. The original diet in the Garden of Eden given to man was the diet that you have been advocating. Every herb bearing seed, every tree in the fruit, every tree in the which the, is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. These are grains, fruits, and nuts. And you'll be interested in a statement made by Mrs. White regarding the addition of meat to the diet. 
She states that God permitted the post-diluvian men to eat the flesh of animals in order to shorten their wicked lives. This no doubt refers to the degenerative processes of atherosclerosis caused by the high fat and protein diet. Prior to the flood, the recorded age of man was more than 900 years. That is interesting, for animal products have certainly caused degenerative diseases. Now what is so interesting, he says so much about the writings of Ellen G. White. Look what he says right here. Of the Pritikin diet said in 1979, I think if you want to get to the originator of the proper diet, you have to go back to who? Ellen White. She laid the guidelines that unfortunately are not being adhered to as strictly as they should be. This individual mentored somebody very special, somebody in the health, well known in the health community. His name is John McDougall, who's the author of The Starch Solutions. And he considered Dr. Pritikin to be his primary, one of his primary mentors who helped shape his nutritional understanding. This individual's, his book is well known, especially The Starch Solution. He wrote these books. Look what he says right here. There are only two people in my lifetime who words of wisdom I have all eagerly awaited, and one of them was Nathan Pritikin. In fact, what is so interesting is what he says next. I greatly regret his Pritikin untimely death in 1985 at age 69. The world would have been a better place if it had survived, if it had survived, he had survived another decade or two. For one, Dr. Atkins' new diet revolution would never have become as big as it did in the 2000s. You know what Dr. Atkins' diet was, right? What? Eat a bunch of meat, right? That's what it was. The world would have never heard of the most popular diets these days, the low-carb paleo diets. His wisdom and strength would have stopped this nutritional nonsense before it ever got started. We would not be suffering the current U.S. financial fiasco caused in large part by the world's, by the worst healthcare crisis ever known. People in the United States would not be known as they are today for being less healthy, having more chronic disease and disability, and dying at a younger age than people living in other wealthier nations. You guys ever heard of this documentary? Yeah, yeah remember I was joking with you? Fat, sick, and nearly dead. And this individual, I believe he was from Australia, he goes on this juicing plan, I think it was 50 or 60 days, I'm not sure. And he loses this tremendous amount of weight and he's just looking better and he's exercising. And this documentary just follows his journey and he actually helps somebody else in that journey. Now, he was not a Seventh-day Adventist. However, he had two main influences for this movie. Joel Furman, you ever heard of Dr. Joel Furman? And who's that little old buff man there? Jack Lane. Dr. Joe Furman, you take a good look at his research, he quotes over and over again, primarily from Adventist health studies. Primarily from Adventist health studies. And the second, Jack Lane, was not a Seventh-day Adventist. He's a juicer guy. Remember the old guy that would uh, you know, do a show? He'd swim many miles? He was the son of an Adventist, though. You know I know this? When I was pastoring, when I, I'm, a, I'm a senior pastor, when I was the associate pastor, my senior pastor, Keith Mulligan, who's retired, he was the pastor of his mom. And she would show up to church every single Sabbath. In fact, Jacqueline Lane, at the age of 15, went to a health seminar, not done by Adventists, but because of the foundation laid by Adventists, he began to pursue an understanding of health. And these two individuals really helped influence and shape fat, sick, and nearly dead. Very interesting. Anybody know what that is right there? 
You guys don't know what that is. What does that look like to you? That is a garden burger. The garden burger is well known to many people in health. It was not created by a Seventh-day Adventist. It was not created by a Seventh-day Adventist. However, it was created by somebody who was influenced by a Seventh-day Adventist. Now what's so interesting, where you go, when you go online and you go to the creator of the Garden Burger, he is one of the partners of Paul Bragg's Corporation. You heard Bragg's Amino Sauce? And this individual came up with it. He has his biography on the website. You can go there even today. His name was Paul Wenner. He was the creator of the Garden Burger. And look what he says in his biography right here. I put it just as it is. Paul Wenner, I really haven't had any health problems since I was 17. When I was about 16 or 17, I started reading books on health and nutrition like Paul Bragg's The Miracle Fasting and Ellen B. White. That's exactly how he puts it. <laughs> That's exactly how he puts it. There is no other Ellen B. White in the church, ladies and gentlemen. You know who she's talking about? He's talking about a writer for the Adventist church. I started realizing that there was a real connection between what you put in your mouth and what you did not put in your mouth between your health and how you felt. So I immediately changed everything about my diet. The Garden Burger is due to the writings of Ellen White. Can you say amen to that? Amen. If someone's eating one, you know where that comes from? You can point it out. Paul Winner was influenced by the writings of Ellen B. White, G. White. Sorry. <laughs> you take a good look in our world today. Right now, uh, this actually happened last year. Ellen White was actually honored in Brazil. And this was actually part of a government honor that was given. See, this is what a lot of people in America, a lot of young people, are not given uh, uh, insight into. She is being honored all over the world. Not by Adventists, but by non-Adventists. They're recognizing her contribution to the world. In fact, one of the individuals who was speaking at this uh, opening ceremony of this particular branch, I think it was of a university where her picture was, he gave a book to everybody. It's called The Science of Healing. What do you think that book is? <laughs> Ministry of Healing, right? But here you see the world recognizing it, of her contribution to health and healing. Operation White Coat. Now this is very interesting. A lot of younger Adventists are not familiar with this. So I'm going to tell you a true story right now. It's going to blow your mind away. The younger generation Adventists don't know about this. The older ones do. There's a lot of pain, too. A lot of things that are not talked about. But I'm going to tell you how I came about to understanding what took place during Vietnam War. I got this book one time about, I think it was three or four months ago. And it was a very interesting book. It's called 63 government documents the government doesn't want you to know about. That's what it's called. 63 documents the government doesn't want you to know about. And uh, you're thinking, why are you looking at a book like that? Don't worry about that. <laughs> but what that book is, it's just simply 63 recently declassified government documents. That's what the book is about. And it doesn't give any interpretation. It simply says, it just lays out 63 of these declassified, recently declassified government documents. Well, I didn't pick up this book for a couple months. One night, I was just sitting in my room, picked up the book, 
and I opened it, and my eyes immediately fell on the word Seventh-day Adventist. I did not open up that book prior. Opened up, and the first thing I read, Seventh-day Adventist. You know what I did? Closed the book, and I was like, who's watching me? <laughs> I seriously thought that. Imagine if you got a book, don't open for months, and it says Seventh-day Adventist in it. You know what I discovered? I checked out the full report, and what it was was a recently declassified congregational report on human experimentation. Seventh-day Adventists were a targeted group. Now, there is much known about Operation White, White Coat. Uh, there are many white coats. What, they, what it was was that about 2,200, a little bit more than that, I think, Seventh-day Adventists were targeted for two reasons. Number one, they were extremely patriotic, and number two, they were extremely healthy. And so when the government wanting to test biological warfare, wanting to test, test vaccines, fevers, they found, a, they found recipients in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, military Seventh-day Adventists. 22 of them were targeted and they were tested upon. Now what is very interesting, is some of the stuff that is said. The first task for scientists was to find people willing to be infected by pathogens that could make them very sick. They found them in the followers of the Seventh-day Adventist faith. Although willing to serve their countries when drafted, the Adventists refused to bear arms. As a result, many of them became medics. Now the US was offering recruits an opportunity to help in a different manner, to volunteer for biological tests as a way of satisfying their military obligations. When contacted in late 1954, the Adventist hierarchy readily agreed to this plan, and that's up for dispute. For Camp Dietrich scientists, church members were a model test population, since most of them were in excellent health and they neither drank, smoked, or used caffeine. What's very interesting is what took place as a result of those tests. Many of these fevers today are no longer active because of the tests that were done upon Seventh-day Adventists. Many of these things we have cures for. The sad thing is, is that many of these Seventh-day Adventists who went into this research testing event, many of them were permanently changed. I never forgot, I put up a, a post on my Facebook of people who, who've been part of Operation White Coat. And you may find in your church, there's an old person who may be what they call the white coat. And I put that post on my Facebook, I got so many hits. And let me tell you what those hits primarily were. Families that were utterly affected because their son, or their, or I should say, their uncle or their dad went into this program and never came out the same. Some were disabled, some died an early death. They were testing diseases, biological warfare, vaccines on these willing Seventh-day Adventists. And what happened is, it was kind of seen as a dark spot on the church, and that's why it's not talked about today. But what is so interesting is the contribution, because of what took place, that we, as the human race, can reap the benefits from. We, if, we, if you ever cross, come across a white coat, you give them your highest respect. You give them your highest respect. Amen? Amen. In fact, watch what one uh, scientist said right here. 
approximately 2,300 Seventh-day Adventist Army veterans served as white coat volunteers. Actually, I looked at some of the reports. Many of them didn't even know what was going on. They didn't know what was going on at the time. They were being tested on, and they didn't know what was happening to them. Watch what he says. The effects of the program have been felt from the remote jungles of Latin America to the desert sands of the Middle East to the reaches of outer space. Reaches of outer space. Said doctors in the book for God and Country, Operation in White Coat, 1954 to 1973. Can you say amen, ladies and gentlemen? Seventh-day Adventists have reaped the, the benefits of the writings that come from Ellen G. White and the whole world is blessed by it. Even if there are human experimentation done by Seventh-day Adventists, the world still reaped the benefits from it. God has blessed our church in a remarkable way. The Blue Zone, we know about this and many other contributions that those writings have made. You take a look at websites and pages and things like that. And ladies and gentlemen, what you are now finding out right now is that Seventh-day Adventists used to be known primarily as a spiritual term. The word Seventh-day Adventist is now being associated as a medical term. Amen. Can you say amen to that? Amen. People know Seventh-day Adventists not even so much for certain unique doctrines that they have. They're known because of their health. And as I said before in the last presentation, if there ever is a time for Seventh-day Adventists to rise up to this occasion, it is now. People are interested in help. Can you say amen to that? Amen. By the way, who knows what the last verse of the book of Daniel chapter 1 says? I see some of you quietly looking at your Bibles. <laughs> What's the last verse? In chapter 1, what's it say about Daniel? What's up? Read what happens after that. He what? He continued until the first year of Cyrus. You want to know why that's important? The Bible's actually stating a fact about Daniel. He got a long life. Amen? By the way, do you know who else who had a long life and was super impressed? Who the world was super impressed by? Do you know Jacob? When he actually goes before Joseph's Pharaoh, do you know the first thing that the Pharaoh says to him? How old are you? He's like, how old are you? Yeah. <laughs> why? You know why that's super important? The Egyptians died early. And they were so blown away because here's an Israelite. He's living longer than them and he's just shocked and he's just like... Bro, how old are you, man? They didn't say it like that, but you know what I mean, right? And here's the thing. When people are seeing the remarkable benefits Seventh-day Adventists are getting, ladies and gentlemen, people are going to ask the question, how old are you? But that is designed to lead people to the truths that we have in God's word. Can you say amen to that? God has blessed our church, and God wants us to use these benefits like never before. If there ever is a time for us to understand the message of hell, it is next. It is now. God has told us in Deuteronomy that he would make us the head and not the what? The tail. And I want to end with this quote. I'm going to share something with you, then I'm done. <coughs> Excuse me. 1965, a German social, sociologist, Ermgard Simon, she's not a Seventh-day Adventist, published her doctoral dissertation in Munster, Westphalia. It dealt with Seventh-day Adventists and Ellen White. She said in part, 
She was without the fear of men, courageous and consistent. She struggled within the movement to solve the many problems. She solved problems which the churches did not expect to see solved in many decades. Simon was unable to find adequate scientific explanation for Ellen White's visions and remarkable experiences. She held the opinion that had Ellen White been a Roman Catholic instead of a Seventh-day Adventist, she might very well be canonized in due counsel, due course. <laughs> in spite of her strong, yes, ecstatic union with God, she rarely lost the ground of reality. On the contrary, she tackled many practical questions in life. Undoubtedly, it was the established fact of her mystic vision of God, which worked as a powerful radiance on her fellow believers, enabling her to be their leader without holding an official office in the church. Ooh, new age, you right there, but let's keep going. Watch how she ends this. She functioned as a messenger between God and churches. Through her member, through her, the members had part in the divine being. This explains the strong position E.G. White has won among Adventists. In spite of her position, E.G. White never fell for the temptations other founders of various movements have done, where they claim to be elevated of themselves above the weaknesses of human flesh, but was a servant and did not claim the honor that belongs to God. I love how she ends. The Seventh-day Adventists still live on in the spirit of E.G. White, and only so far as this heritage lives on do the Adventists have a future. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, when you take a good look at the ministry of Elijah and Elisha, Elijah was a public rebuker of sins. But you know Elisha prayed for a double portion of the spirit. You know what happened? His ministry became focused on personal occurrences, personal experiences, and Ellen White says, the ministry of health. When you take a good look at John the Baptist, he was a public rebuker of sins. He didn't do any miracles. But when Jesus came, who was endowed with the Spirit of God, his ministry focused on one-on-one -on -one counters, and he bought the ministry of health. And ladies and gentlemen, the Seventh-day Adventist church, we have been a public church, and we have been, uh, you could say, uh, we have dealt with the, the Bible truths in a very public way. But as we pray more and more for the Spirit of God, we're going to be surprised as we see the Seventh-day Adventist church Start heading in a direction of health and healing in our ministries. And we need to be ready for that. Even Ellen White says herself right here. I wish to tell you soon, there will be no work done in ministerial lines, but medical missionary work. If there ever is a time to study out this subject and to start praying on the direction that God would have you to go, bring into that picture the medical missionary work. God has blessed us, amen? amen? But he wants you to be a blessing to this world. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for the writings of Ellen G. White. And Lord, when you gave us those writings, you truly blessed this world. Father in heaven, we just pray that we would be blessings to this world as well and that we would share what you have given to us. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, 
or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.